Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Duval, welcome into the Gin Jag podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. It's the final week of the 2021 regular season. The Jags have a chance to play spoilers for their division rivals. Um, the Clown Army prepares to march on TIAA Bank Field. We've got all that and a whole lot more to discuss today in the final week of the 2021 regular season. Crazy stuff. Jeremy, how are we feeling? Well, for the first time in my natural born life, I am actually excited for the Jaguar season to finally be over. Uh, we're about, what, four days away now from them not being able to uh, hurt us on Sundays. I was going to say hurt us in general, but that's probably not true because who knows how this offseason is going to shake out. But yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, so ready to get this one behind us. And, and I'm sure a lot of the fans out there are. I know you mentioned the clown army and all that kind of good stuff as well. So uh, it's a pivotal point in, in the franchise. I think this is a, a fork in the road and, and there's either, you know, a way to success and a way to pick things up or, you know, there's another way. And I think that leads down a, a very dark path. So all in all, I mean, we're here, we're living and we still have the Jaguars Football is still going to be played, whether it be great or not, but I'm ready to put this one behind us. Yeah, you weren't ready for uh, 2020 to end? Well, yeah, I mean, 2020 still had a little bit of optimism in it. I mean, you know, getting Trevor and, and having the the excitement of, of what's to come. Was I ready for the end of that time? I'm Probably, but I don't think I was nearly as um, just dejected about the team as I am right now. Well, yeah, that makes sense too. And I think a lot of people probably feel that way because you knew last year was going to be the end of um, a regime. You knew Doug and Dave were going to be gone. You knew um, that there was going to be a new coach, that Trevor Lawrence was coming to town. And now, obviously, Urban Meyer completely botched being an NFL head coach and just about every way imaginable. The Jaguars did not develop Trevor Lawrence well throughout year one, and there's just not a lot of positives to take after what should have been a monumental offseason for the team. So that does make sense. But the good news is Trevor Lawrence is still in town. 
the Jaguars still have a crap ton of draft capital, including the number one overall pick right now. And they still have a treasure trove of salary cap space. So it's not like anything that wasn't possible for the future or that was possible for the future last year is no longer possible. It's just been a year that everyone is going to want to forget as soon as possible. I don't know, man. There's a lot of things that that aren't, that are becoming not possible as we kind of like what? Well, just the the injuries to to free agent wide receivers and Devontae Adams. I mean, it's clear that he's probably going to get the franchise tag in Green Bay. Oh yeah, but you know, free agency is always something you have to worry about. To where, like, even if those guys didn't get injured, it's still a good chance neither of them would have hit free agency. Probably you're looking at at least Gallup finding free agency if he didn't get injured and they'll still both probably be available and might be ready for the start of the regular season with how, um, with how, you know, injuries from or ACL recovery has, has gone over the last few years. It's definitely improved a lot, but yeah, I, I think overall you're still as a franchise, there's no reason not to be optimistic other than if Trent Balky sticks around yeah some other things transpire but there still should be some optimism considering you talk to anybody around the league this is a good job as a coach or gm um, in terms of what you're going to be acquiring and what what you're going to be taking on you have to rebuild the culture no doubt about it but i think there's a good a good vibe overall about what this job offers potential candidates yeah there's there's definitely still tons of optimism like you mentioned i mean just the scopes and, and the optics of, of what you could offer somebody who's looking to either revive their nfl career or you know start their head coaching career um there, there's definitely plenty of there but you know just some things here and there that have kind of taken the wind out of the sails a little bit as For we move sure. towards it and it, it's just tough because we had these same sentiments and these same feelings last year and and we kind of know how things kind of fell flat this year obviously those circumstances were beyond unforeseen and i think they were extreme um and you can't count on them to happen again but at this point you know i think the average fan probably looks at it and says well i mean at this point we've seen it all you know why why should we have any more optimism so i, I think there's definitely some to be found but you know i'm not going to blame uh you know the average guy walking down the street for not having any i agree with you and uh, i'd like to remind everybody to check out jenjag.com to keep up with all the latest jaguars news and analysis and of course we'd like to thank bold city brewery uh, the one and only sponsor of the Gen Jag podcast. You can uh, check them out of their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. So let's go ahead and kick the show off with the Clown Army. Um, if if you are listening to this show and you don't know what that is, uh, you must be hiding under a rock or or inside some dungeon inside of the Jaguars building, uh, as Miles Jack didn't really know what that was. Uh, today when the media brought it up to him but obviously Jaguars fans are extremely dissatisfied with the potential of Trent Baalke being retained as GM for myriad reasons they're unhappy I mean we've talked about it Trent Baalke has a poor draft record poor free agency record poor record in terms of what he's just done uh, on teams that he's been with over the last six years i mean they're 10 and 53 teams that he's been a part of whether it's as a uh, pro or player personnel director or general manager it's been a disaster uh he 
has not done well hiring coaches. He has not well done well maintaining relationships with coaches. He has failed in just about every part of being a general manager or football executive. And as soon as Ian Rappaport tweeted out um, about a week and a half ago now that Trent Baalke was expected to be retained and help with the coaching search, that is when this kind of clown movement started. And it's been just growing and growing to the point where now it is expected that thousands of Jaguars fans are going to be attending the regular season finale on Sunday in Jacksonville at TIAA Bank Field with either clown noses or dressed in full-on clown attire to present their dissatisfaction to the organization <clears throat> about the potential of keeping Trent Baalke around and keeping the status quo and having another half measure. And I support the movement 100%. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, every every fan who feels this way has a right to feel this way. I mean, what, we're, we're sitting with like a, a 41 and 123 record since Khan's taken over? Something ridiculous like that. I know it's 40-something and 120-something. So, I mean, it's just a ridiculous number. The, these fans haven't seen anything remotely resembling good football uh, besides one year, obviously, in the 2017 season. And, and obviously, we now know that that was – a fluke. I mean, you can't really phrase it any other way. So the clown army coming out in full force on Twitter. I mean, I love that. I mean, f- use your platform to be heard. I mean, you are the driving force behind, you know, keeping this team, not only in the city, but keeping this team relevant and, and, and keeping this team, you know, on the map, spending money. I mean, all of the, the money that, that fans spend, whether it be through tickets and, and uh, merchandise and concessions. And I mean, Really, if you think about it, we have the power to completely bottom out the Jaguars. And I mean, that's that's obviously not where anyone's going, not where anyone wants this team to go or where it needs to be. But after years of, of just ineptitude and just mindless decisions and repeatedly not doing the right thing, not getting the right guys uh, in the organization, not making the correct changes – it's time. It, it's time for the fans to be heard. It's time for the organization to feel the pressure because honestly, I think Jaguars fans have kind of sat back long enough. I mean, we've always kind of been jovial and um, you know, we, we joke about the misfortunes of the Jaguars and how bad we are at times. And all it took was one little glimmer of hope for us to kind of, you know, revive everything. And then just with a blink of an eye, they, they took it all away. So I don't, like you said, you don't, I don't feel bad. I, I don't blame anybody for having these sentiments. Now, I didn't think that people would be going to the game dressed as clowns. As, as I started to see that unfold, I, mean, I thought that was a little a little crazy. Again, I don't blame them for it, and I totally agree that they should feel, um, you know, however they should feel to 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 communicate their feelings towards towards the franchise. But I mean, this is a chance for the Jaguars, for the fans, for the community to to express their disapproval, and really, that's what you get with social media and the power of everyone being about a voice nowadays. I mean, you can really make it known how you feel. And I think the Jaguars organization has to listen because for as long as they've just mindlessly gone about their business, there haven't been any results. And now it's about time for us, the fans to demand that demand results, demand a change and and demand this football team, at least resembling an NFL team. No one's asking them to go undefeated every year. I mean, crap at this point, six, seven wins might excite the average fan. That's all they're asking for here. Yeah, and just the idea of keeping Trent Baalke, which to everyone in the football world, to everyone that has a pulse, it's clear that that is not a direction that any football team in the NFL should be taking with with taking on Trent Baalke as the GM. 
Um, it's just so evident to everyone that this should not be the case. And that was the final straw. And I absolutely agree with everyone in that movement. Uh, I support it 100%. Uh, I think they're correct that the organization needs to be held accountable after, you know, you said 2017 was a fluke. It didn't have to be. There was talent across that roster. Obviously, they missed on the quarterback. Blake Bortles is not the answer at quarterback. But you could have found a quarterback. Um, and the problem with that team was the culture within the locker room, within the organization that Tom Coughlin was beginning to set in terms of just alienating pretty much everyone. And uh, I really do believe that was the main reason no one stuck around. Uh, So uh, it it definitely wasn't a sustainable season the way it played out in 2017 because Blake Bortles was never going to play that well again um, in all likelihood. And, um, you know, you had some age factors and all that happening, but that could have been a good team for a couple years. They started the next year three and one. And then Tom Coughlin and all the drama started unfolding, you know, right before our eyes. Yeah, it was. It's crazy to think about how everything went down. Then you're right; it, sh- it should have been a fluke. That team could have found a quarterback to to win with that defense. Absolutely, I don't agree. I disagree with you there. Uh, another thing to to mention, you know, it's not necessarily the fact that it, there, there's. It's not necessarily Trent Balky specifically. Yes, he has a bad record. Um, not only it's the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Yeah, you would think so. Um, but I mean, it's just everything that comes with it. It's not. It's not a direct shot at Trent Balky. I mean, that's what we're trying to get rid of. We're trying to get rid of Trent Balky, and that's what the clown army is all about here. However, like you said, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. There's been so much buildup. It's one of those things where we've we've seen this before. The carryover, you know, the kind of the, the leak, um, you know, the 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 the, the just constant leak of, of bad football and bad leadership and you never completely clean house all the way through up until the end and that's all we're looking for i mean Trent Balky sucks that he's you know the side guy but he hasn't painted himself a pretty picture either now personally i think the team could have potentially rid themselves of this issue if they came out and said hey look you know what we saw this year the mishappenings of this year had nothing to do with Trent. You know, if it was the Urban Meyer show all the way through and through, then, you know, I think maybe he could have stayed face a little bit and they could have said, hey. But of course, that would have been a lie. Right. Do we know? I mean, I, yes. It, it, yeah, probably. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying yes or no. I mean, there is. But there's just not helping people out also. there that believe that Trent Balky was as much a part of hiring Chris Doyle as Urban Meyer. Yeah, but that's just a belief. Now, again, I, I, I'm not saying one way That's the other. Mark Long. He's not just somebody out there. He is a reporter. And so I, I, I'm just trying to say I, I don't give Trent Baalke a pass. I do think that he is a snake in the grass. Uh, I think, quite frankly, he, he doesn't know how to communicate effectively with others. I think you've seen that based on his track record. Uh, I think there's been a lot of reports that he was the leak in the organization and just took advantage of Urban Meyer's uh, ineptitude and and his inability to take this job seriously. And I don't, you know, do what you got to do, Trent, but you don't need to be in Jacksonville anymore. Yeah, and the point of that, I know I was rambling. There's so many 
thoughts that are just swirling when you think about the situation, how crazy it's become, and how have we even gotten here as an NFL organization? You know, not a small, you know, minor league. This is the NFL, man, the biggest freaking professional sports league in the world. How is something being this mismanaged? Pretty much just at this point, the Jaguars have done themselves no favors inside or out. They have done themselves absolutely no favors. And when you get to that point, like we're talking about, it's all got to go. You got to start fresh. You've got to go from the bottom up. And I mean, honestly, the the small percentage of individuals who are also, you know, kind of not attacking Shad Khan's ownership, because there are a small amount of people who, who feel that he is not a great owner. I just think that if you get the football things right, and if you know that you're not that person, then you've got to bring someone in and that would alleviate all of the stress, all of the pressure from the outside. And like I said, just get us in the right direction. That's all we're looking for. Yeah. And he thought he did that with Coughlin. He thought he did it with Urban. Both of them were epic failures. Um, you know, at least Coughlin had some early success, but that, that went down as, you know, just a complete disaster, just like Urban Meyer. And the Jaguars are in one of the worst positions they've ever been in as an organization, probably the worst, like without question. Now, back to the clown army, uh, media did ask the coaches and players about it this week. I thought Daryl Bevel, it was interesting what he said. He said, I do understand the frustration that they have, and there's a level of frustration in the building, and we want it to be better as well. As a head interim head coach, I don't know what he could have said differently. Like, he says he understands that they're frustrated and they want it to make it better as well. I don't know what else you can say. I, and I find I find it refreshing and I think it was obviously a good PR move for him to not have any sort of backlash towards it. I, I agree. I mean, how could you? How could you stand there and say anything other than, I mean, yeah, we, we hear you and we're all wanting something better. I mean, you, what are the alternatives there? Like you said, you really don't know how he could have handled it. But if, if anybody in the organization thinks that, and I know there have been some that have been related to the organization, not necessarily part of the organization who have taken shots at the clown army, but after the product that you've put out there for 10 years, if you were to sit back and, and, and have some sort of clever rebuttal or, or, or something, you know, just insulting to say to these fans, I mean, I think it totally would have blew things up. How yeah. can you sit there and even attempt to make some sort of, you know, snide remark about it when you've put up the kind of numbers that you've put up over the last 10 years? I mean, at this point, it's it's just, yeah. it's laughable. But for so many of these guys that are on the team, it's not about the last 10 years. It's about this year. Right. And uh, I think Trevor Lawrence, he kind of had that. He under, He said he understood what the fans are going through and he wouldn't personally do something like that, but he totally gets it. And he doesn't blame them for it. Um, Miles Jack pretty much today was taken aback by the whole thing, and he he pretty much just said, you know, they're they they're out there. They're going to try to get a win this weekend, and hopefully everybody can throw those clown masks away after that happens. But of course, that's missing the whole meaning of the clown mask. It has nothing to do with whether the Jaguars win or lose this weekend. It has everything to do with the future of the organization. But I would say. In the past, there's been some players in Jacksonville who have kind of lashed back out at fans who have been critical, and you haven't seen that from any of these guys. And 
take that as you will. It's not going to change the fact that the organization has been heading in a terrible direction for a long time, but at least you have players that can empathize and understand where you're coming from. No one on this team has earned the right to lash out at any sort of fan displeasure. I mean, let's just be honest. No one on this team right now has performed to that to that level. And even back then, I mean, yes, I we people have been Jaguars players in particular have been outspoken in the media about, you know, fan I don't know if the booing or just, you know, fan displeasure. But again, I, even with those guys, I mean, how many of them had really, you know, earned the right to be able to do that? And and even it, it's a team. And that's game. my point. Like they were guys right. that were doing that before the Jaguars. Like for example, Malik Jackson and Allen Robinson both had stuff to say about mm-hmm. the fans before they ever made the playoffs. Yeah, and, and and same thing then. Like, what right do you have? I mean, you've we've seen it. This team winning and and at least having some sort of success, being somewhat relevant. I mean, the fans are going to show up. There's no. In my opinion, the NFL, and this is obviously a biased opinion, but there's no more dedicated, loyal, um, I mean, really understanding (laughs) set of fans for any professional team than the Jacksonville Jaguars. The fact that some of these people, uh, you know, that that have been fans of this team since 95, since the inaugural season, there's no reason at all for them to still be around after what they've seen. So, I mean, to say that the fans don't care, or you know the, that they're speaking out of pocket, that's just absolutely bogus. I mean, we all want what's best. We just want we want somewhat of a successful look on Sundays. And and like I said, nobody in that locker room has earned the right to say anything about that. And these guys that are here right now, I agree. You're right. You know, it's 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 only about this year for them. It's not about the past. They haven't been here for the past ten years. And I understand and respect that. And the fact that they can also understand that hey, just because they're here right now. And they haven't been here for 10, 15 years. We have. We've been here all along and we've seen the struggles and they know what the struggles have been. And that's why they're here. That's why Trevor Lawrence is here. If the Jaguars weren't the worst team in the NFL, Trevor Lawrence wouldn't be here. And I think he understands that. So the way he handled it specifically, as you mentioned, I thought that was phenomenal. Yeah. So, and Trevor said a lot of other stuff about. You know, he he still believes that there will be greatness in this organization in the future, and he's going to be a part of it. And so that should get everybody fired up that Trevor Lawrence isn't ready to jump ship. Um, but speaking about the dysfunction of the organization, Miles Jack was asked today about like what the Jaguars need moving forward. We'll jump into that real quick. He said, to keep it short and simple, I would just say this organization, like dysfunction, feel it falls on everybody's shoulder. There's no one person in particular, but it's kind of been a thing where, like for example, in the games we shoot ourselves in the foot, we'll be getting a drive and then we don't get a stop on third down or maybe the offense has a hiccup that may set the team back in second long. He says, we can't beat ourselves. I'd say that this organization, that dysfunction leads to us beating ourselves to keep it short and, and very like politically correct. We have to tighten up a lot of things that end up becoming big things, a lot of little things that end up becoming big things. And he says, if I was to say what needs to be fixed, that would be it. And I completely agree with him. It's all these little things that happen uh, throughout Urban Meyer's tenure, throughout Tom Coughlin's tenure. They just build up and build up. And and I agree with him. They need to get organized and they need to have a much more direct coach and he he went on to say he wants someone that's all about ball and that kind of is a shot at urban meyer who clearly was not out all about ball during his time here i hear miles man but i, I think even the players can't grasp 
how much is needed to turn this thing around. I mean, because look, look, they're in there every day and they're working their asses off and, and they are, I'm assuming, and I'm sure everyone is, and as we should, giving their all. And in 99.9% of situations, these guys are just going out there and making a living. And, and they're they're playing a game. And, and to them, I mean, this is not anything more than than a audition for their next spot. But, right, you, you need somebody who's going to be able to lead a team. You're going to need somebody who, who knows the NFL and, and knows what they're doing. And they don't have any any of that right now in the building. So, so I mean, it's, an, it's a huge overhaul. But even then, you need more than that. You need talent. And, and this team just doesn't yes. have the talent. And I agree with Miles Jack. This team has done a lot of things to shoot themselves in the foot, um, to to you know lose games that they should have won. Um, you know, you think to uh, the Arizona game early. You think to Cincinnati. Um, you think to um, the Tennessee Titans, their first indie game. You're right, absolutely. With with being down seventeen nothing and and trying to claw back and, and get yourself out of those holes. Yes, those those are those are huge mistakes. If you don't make those. You know, you you might be in a better position, but what I looked at today was was a, a a record based on one win football games. So it took every team's record currently, and it flipped every one score football game. So let's say you know, obviously, let, let's say one team played in seven one score games and they lost four of them. Um, now they won four of them and they flipped the other way around, and all the wins now become losses. So some of the teams had had some pretty big pretty big uh, discrepancies in record. I mean, um, I think it was, I have to look, because one of the NFC teams went from like three wins to like nine wins. And the Jaguars went from two and 14 to four and 12. So the sentiment that that we think we've played close games all year, which I had early on, and I do think that the Arizona game, the Cincinnati game, some of the other games could have gone a different way, but the Jaguars only lost two games that were one score this year. Yeah. Two games. And both there of them wins. more and than one were close. Win. Right? Like the Titans game, you always say that tit- that first Titans matchup, there was two touchdowns given to the Titans type of deal. But the point stands. Like, they were not close to being a good team. <laughs> yeah. They weren't close to being a decent team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just even if you – but the point of that was even all the close games, you take those, I mean, it just goes to show that – even if this team was perfectly coached and the detail was perfect and everything was perfect and they had a leader of men that wasn't Urban Meyer and, and they had a competent coaching staff and a competent general manager. Well, let's not say competent general manager because if they did, hopefully they'd have a much better team than they do right now. But even with all that being said, I, I firmly believe this team just isn't talented enough to win more than four games, five games at most. So, you know, yeah, you, you need all those things too, but you've got to get more talent. Yeah. No question about it. And to flip the switch a little bit here and uh, look at what's actually happening right here and now, the Jaguars just got their asses whipped up in New England by the Patriots, 50-10. to 10. Really, it was a 50-3 to 3 ball game. They didn't get that touchdown till late on a screen pass. Uh, there's not anything real positive to say about that game outside of one development in particular. Walker Little? He got his third start of the year. He looked damn good. And we've talked about him on here. I talked about how he needs to improve his punch timing, his hand placement, all this stuff that's fundamental to being an offensive tackle. But I also said it looks like he has the physical ability. Well, he showed some technical ability against the Patriots, and he put up a clean sheet, zero pressures. He looked really good in the run game. He was able to um, pick up switches and stunts in front of him, 
he was able to mirror pass rushers. He was able to stonewall them a little bit. It looked like a guy that should be a starter. At least for one week, it really looked like a guy that should be a starter. And it makes me wonder, like, if this guy got on the field, you know, early in the season, in a season that was lost very early, where could he be at now? Yeah, I, I agree. He he had the, the best showing of his his season up to date. And, and with more playing time, who knows how much more he could have improved, right? It looks like he's improving. I'm not quite there yet, though, on the starter capabilities. He had a great game. Don't get me wrong, but I'd like to see how some of these metrics factor in like pressure rates and, and all this kind of stuff. Because looking back at the tape, there were definitely some plays where it looked like, you know, some of the pressure was, was forced inside from the left side and Trevor had to get up and move around. And I don't know exactly how they. I studied the whole things. thing. So I, I'm telling you, it, he looked great. He looked really good. I, I specifically watched his entire tape yeah. of that game and he wasn't perfect. There was some lunging, right. but that happened on a couple instances. And that was early on. And after that, I mean, he looked really good. Yeah. He, he looked like a starter. He, he did. I'll give him that. I want to preface that by saying he did play well and probably his best game of the season. Obviously it is by the score, the best game of the season, but there's still some things that, that, that leave me to, to wonder. And, and when I go back and think about, again, the talent level, the talent level, okay, is it going to be consistent? You know, we're not going to be able to know that because obviously he hasn't really played a lot. He didn't get a lot of points. He hasn't shown it, right? He's, he's going to get another chance this week um, to, to show what he can do. And, and, you know, if he puts another good game together, especially against a really, really great Colts front seven, you can kind of start to talk about that. But I feel like one thing that I don't want to do this offseason and, and just kind of in the future here that I've done in the past as a fan personally is, is get complacent with what we think we have. And I think we kind of did it last year with, with LaVisca Chenault. Like, yeah, you know, he, he showed some great things, but you know, we expected him to take that next step and he didn't. And now I kind of look back on it and I'm like, okay, do we expect too much from him? Did, did we, did we think that, did we, you know, raise his ceiling a little too much in our own minds because of what we thought he could be and not really what he is. And I don't want to get complacent in regards to adding talent to this team this offseason. If this guy plays great, that's great. I'm very happy for him, but you still need to bring in competition. If you think there's a guy out there that's better, that could make your football team better, you bring him in and you make him fight it out. And I think that goes across the board for all positions, no matter how we play towards the end of the year, besides quarterback, to be honest with you, besides quarterback. Obviously, you're not going to bring in a guy to compete with Trevor. Uh, I just want to leave that said. But there were other issues along the offensive line that obviously had nothing to do with Walker Little. And, you know, the reps that he did get were great. But I don't think, like I said again, that we should get complacent with talent across this team. You know, for me, I agree with you 100%. You don't get complacent. But there's not a lot of – there's not going to be very many guys that you're going to look at in free agency outside of Teron Armstead, who is definitely up there in age that you're going to be able to say, yeah, that guy's definitely who we want to insert into our starting lineup over Walker Little, assuming he plays well to end the season. And this is a guy that was a second-round pick. A lot of people thought he could have been a first-round pick if he was healthy. I understand that. Um, I didn't agree with that coming in to the draft. And coming out of the draft, I didn't agree with it. But we're starting to see some things. And I don't think it should prevent you from adding offensive tackle talent in the draft, like Evan Neal, certainly. And we can talk about that a little later. Or we can talk about it right now. I don't think it should stop you from drafting an offensive lineman early. And I think that's your point as well. Yeah, well, I mean, and more into that as well. How, how many, how many starting tackles would you 
take Walker a little over right now in the NFL. Oh, I don't know. That's a <laughs> right, but but I mean, I'd have to look through. I have no idea. Even without looking, I mean, like, just where would you? Again, I know that what what the, I'm kind of not explaining this properly. Like, I understand like you'd want to look at everybody. There's bad teams in the NFL, right? So they probably have really bad offensive linemen. I get that, but just off the top of your head, like thinking, you know, where he would potentially slide. Like, would you say like based on what you've seen, he could be a top 15 tackle or a top 20 tackle? Based on how he played. Against the Patriots, which that's a very good defense. Based on how he played against them, he looked like a top ten tackle, in my opinion. Oh, okay. Well, and I'm not saying that that's what he is. I'm saying that's what he was that day. Right. Yeah, that's fair we enough. Need and, to see more, obviously. Yeah. And I think if he plays well this upcoming week, and even if he doesn't, he's a guy that you need to try to develop over the next nine months and get him ready to hopefully where you feel really confident as him as a starter um, going into week one because you drafted him in the second round this year. He needs to be a starter. I agree. I agree. And like you said, I agree with your sentiment that you can't you can't let this stop you from adding talent, whether it be in frequency or the draft. But watching Evan Neal play um, last weekend and, and getting to watch him against Georgia um, this upcoming Monday is going to be fantastic. Can't wait to see how he plays. But he looks like the guy right now. I mean, he really guess does. what you can play him at right tackle. You can, or you can move Walker Little to right tackle. I don't care. These guys need to yeah, be whichever works. If I did tackle. that specifically though, I would just, you know, little hasn't played right tackle. Really. He's done some in practice. He hasn't right. done it in a game. I would just leave him over at left tackle. And that would be my initial plan. Leave him at left tackle, put Evan Neal at right tackle, and maybe you have bookends for the next five years. Right. And also, I mean, you have to keep your options open because Cam Robinson is going to be a free agent and tackles are going to demand a certain amount of money. That's what their market value is. And I don't think you necessarily want to limit uh, what you can spend on free agents elsewhere. If you're confident that a, you, you take Evan Neal and you have Walker little and you still have Jawan Taylor, who's also a young tackle has not played well, but he's still a young tackle. I mean, that gives you some flexibility, some youth along the line right there at a cheap price and, and allows you to spend money elsewhere in free agency. So, you can't be shy of adding talent to the draft because you've got this guy. And and if if that's the pick you decide to go with at number one, which I mean, I personally right now don't think anybody else um, is particularly a better pick right now for the Jaguars than Evan Neal. That's just my opinion. Um, I agree. Then you've got to go with it. Like I said, you know, and, and that's great that you brought that up. You cannot, and that's exactly what I was getting at. You cannot let that, you know, stop you from adding more talent in the draft. Evan Neal is an absolute monster. And what I saw him do, um, you know, granted they played Cincinnati, but I mean, I don't care. It's it's, it's major. Isaiah Sanders football. is going to be a late first or second round pick, right? What I saw him do rusher, so. on Saturday or whatever day it was, I don't remember anymore. The days have been so blended together. But Friday. what the way I saw him play in that semifinal game, I mean, mm-hmm. he almost cemented my thoughts on on number one right there. And and even if you and and I think that gives the Jaguars flexibility in trading back. Because I mean, really, who who's going to be looking at taking a tackle number one overall? That's that's right up here. Probably not the Lions because they've got no. Sewell, um, and they have um, Decker. Yeah, and I mean the Giants. Maybe some of these teams that you're looking at trading up, maybe. But I think the teams that are going to make that kind of move are going for one specific player, and I don't think it's Evan Neal. So I think that that sets up the Jaguars beautifully to trade back. Maybe you know get the chance to add two top fifteen players. Uh, or two top 15 draft picks to the roster this upcoming season. But, you know, it definitely gives you some flexibility um, in what you want to do with your money. 
Yeah, I know I've talked about it a lot, but I'm just still really hoping that Dan Campbell really sees Aiden Hutchinson as that hometown hero, that Motor City kid with just an unrelenting energy and motor and effort that he plays with. I I just really want to, whoever is calling the shots here, you know, Dan, we're thinking about Aiden Hutchinson at number one. But, you know, we might be willing to move down to number two and let you secure your guy, depending on what you're willing to offer us. I just think that would be fantastic. Lions have two first-round picks too, don't they? Yeah, they have number 30, and then they also have a very early second-round pick. Who owns number 30? Who did they get that from? I don't remember. Okay, I was just curious about that. Yeah, so that could obviously move. That's what I was curious about. Um, yeah. But it's obviously, it's obviously a top team if it's, if it's down there. I just can't remember who they made any deals with recently. But... Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I'm gonna move back for number one though, I'm not I'm not quite sure if I'm looking at one and thirty. Now maybe one thirty and you know another second round picks. So maybe we can use thirty and their second round pick to move up again. But I mean, oh, that's listen to this. <laughs> guess guess who the team is? Okay, well if they're if they're picking at thirty currently, it's got to be the Packers or Chiefs. Nope. Uh, uh, picking at thirty. Ah. I mean, I'm running options here. The Bucks. It would be hilarious. I'll tell you this. It would be hilarious if the Jaguars traded for this pick. The Rams. Yes. Oh, <laughs> who did the, who did the Lions trade with the Rams? I, I don't. Oh, it's a golf pick. Oh, duh. Yeah. Duh. Okay. There we that go. That would be good. That would be good. Golf Stafford pick. Yeah. That would be good. Well, uh, the maybe, maybe not. Maybe maybe the Rams picks are cursed. Well, then again, the Jaguars just had another inept GM making those picks. But, yeah, I mean. It, that would be hilarious. It would be. That'd pick up a, a good little buzz around the NFL. But, I mean, I don't know about you, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more as we go, but I'm I'm pretty set on either Evan Neal or moving back if you know that, that you can get him wherever you move to. Well, yeah, and that's why I think I wouldn't be a, a, against moving back a little further. Don't get me wrong, but it would just be perfect. Like you feel like you're going to take Evan Neal, but you're able to kind of swindle the Lions out of a pick because you're like, yeah, if we sit here, we're going to take Aiden Hudson. That's oh, yeah. just going to be the way it is. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It'd be the most Lion thing ever, too. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, th- I do think Walker Little showed a lot. I'm excited to see if he can repeat that type of performance against the Colts, who, like you said, they have a talented defensive front. Um. But let's move things right along here. I'd like to remind you to follow us on Twitter, Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. So let's touch on Calvin Ridley real quick. It's a pretty unsubstantiated report or rumor, whatever you want to call it, from Steve Weish. He basically just said he thinks it could be uh, since Calvin Ridley nor the Falcons have kind of spoken about their relationship that they could be ready to part ways. You mentioned earlier, Devontae Adams is likely to stay in Green Bay on the franchise tag. Chris Godwin tore his ACL and MCL. He just had successful surgery on that. Michael Gallup just tore his ACL. Those were the three top guys that you could look at as potential free agent wide receivers. And now there are more there are more quality candidates out there to be picked up and to be had at wide receiver. But those were the top three uh, without question. And now it looks like, you know, 
Adams is going to be an unav- unavailable completely. Is either of the other two guys going to be ready for the 2022 regular season? Are they going to be ready to help contribute? Can you rely on them to contribute early for Trevor Lawrence in 2022 when he really needs to start showing a lot of development? Yeah, this was a great development today. That story coming out of Atlanta, like you said, it's not necessarily confirmed yet, but you could have seen that coming. I mean, it, it's not they're not saying anything that we haven't, you know, kind of maybe speculated about in regards to his future in Atlanta because the situation in and of itself, you know, whatever's going on, I wish him the best. And, and then you never know what's going on with someone mentally um, if you're not in their shoes. So, but, you know, things like that don't always tend to work out at least in regards to wherever you're at currently. Usually don't see guys come back from that. I don't really know, like I said, what the issue is or, you know, what is going on with him or between the team even or, or what caused him to take a step away. But the one thing that I will say is whatever it is, it's obviously something that's, you know, allowing them to potentially talk about moving on because these things don't kind of just appear out of nowhere, especially when it comes from, you know, reputable media sources. I'm not saying that it's hundred percent true, but usually where there's smoke, there's fire to some degree, right? Something about that, you know, someone wants that out. There's a reason why it's out there. Now that's like I said, that that's, that's the only thing that concerns me is if the situation were, you know, a little bit different and, and, you know, he was trying to find himself and the team was supporting him and whatever he was doing was completely in full support of the team. You know, you think they would bring him back and it'd be like a very great story. And, you know, this individual was able to overcome, you know, whatever, um, you know, maybe it's, it's mental or, you know, whatever is going on in his life that he's able to overcome that return to the game. And, and, you know, everyone welcomes him back with open arms. So something there is, is leading them towards the other way. Now for the Jaguars, you know, it seems like a, perfect scenario i mean look at when josh allen came into the league right he had no weapons you know everyone was kind of looking at him like oh man you know this this may not have been the best choice he's not really that kind of guy but he needed weapons of what the bills do they went out and they got a disgruntled star wide receiver um you know and stefan diggs now i'm not putting calvin ridley and stefan diggs on the same level because they're not at all however calvin ridley i don't think it's crazy to put calvin ridley on the level that stefan diggs was on when he went to buffalo uh, I don't know, man. I don't think it's crazy. Stephon Diggs was a and obviously Calvin Ridley has the um, situation going on where he stepped away from the team, so Stephon Diggs didn't have that either. But talent wise, I think they're in the same ballpark. Well, it just it just sets you up with a perfect way to give Trevor some weapons, um, you know, without maybe having to go spend a bunch of money and without maybe having to waste too much draft capital. I, I'd be there for it. There were a couple things that I would need personally from the Falcons before you know, I go through with this because it's, it's obviously going to take some sort of higher draft capital. Like I don't think they'll take anything less than a two, but they'll probably ask for a one. There could be some swapping there going on, but from the Falcons and from Calvin Ridley's camp, I would need two things. First of all, I would need confirmation from Calvin Ridley's camp that he is intending to return to football. Like, you know, we're here yeah. to support you and do whatever you need, but you're intending to return to football and we'd love you to come work with our rookie quarterback our, our young guy. We need somebody out here that can, that can go catch the ball for him. Cause we're having a problem with that right now. And number two, I need some sort of, of, collateral from the Falcons, um, you know, some sort of maybe draft compensation or, you know, something along those, something compensatory to where if, if Calvin Ridley does not ever play football for the Jaguars, we're not left out in the wind. I don't think you're going to get that, but you might not, but that's, I get, that's what I, I get the sentiment. Yeah, for I, sure. I just think you got to have some sort of fail safe. And I think, and this kind of goes for really any, even like if you're in the Desha- Deshaun Watson situation, obviously with that going on, obviously it's a completely different scenario, but 
in instances like these where you can't guarantee that the player will ever play for you, how in, in full confidence do you go out and, and maybe when you're in the Jaguar situation, levy that much on Trevor Lawrence's future, on the franchise's future success, on a guy that you don't even know if he's going to play for you ever? Yeah, I get it for sure. You would need to do your due diligence and figure out uh, how that would all play out. And he's also going to be going into the last year of his rookie deal. He, uh, They did pick up his uh, fifth-year option, so he'll be going into his fifth year, and so you'll need to figure out if you can sign him to a longer-term contract as well. That would certainly be in the equation. So the Jaguars do not have a head coach. They have interviewed Jim Caldwell, Doug Peterson, Todd Bowles, uh, they're going to interview several others. We've talked about it before. Who is your favorite head coaching candidate right now as we go into the final week of the 2021 regular season? My coaching candidate is going to be Doug Peterson. I, I just think that – did you ask for GM too? You kind of broke up there a little bit. It was just head coach on that one. Just head coach right. on that okay. one. We'll talk about GM too. Okay. Yeah, Doug Peterson. I mean, I, I, I have – gone over this really for me it's it's been like we talked about last week it, it's doug peterson and, and jim caldwell and then everybody else that does not have prior nfl head coaching experience and yes jim caldwell is that leader in the locker room he's that i think stabilizing figure but doug peterson is the track record guy when it comes to developing quarterbacks having great offenses working under great offensive minds like andy reed um, playing in the nfl He's won a Super Bowl. I mean, what more could you ask for in a guy who who you're looking for to have the right stuff? I mean, he's done it all. He's he's been to the highest point of the mountain. Now, you know, the second time, the second climb is always the hardest. You know, getting back to that point, you know, is going to be a lot harder than it was the first time. But nothing, even even what happened in Philly, nothing, you know, points Doug Peterson as a bad higher in my mind I, I really can't wrap my head around what could possibly go wrong i mean even if you look at the seasons that he had in philly i mean i think he went seven and nine nine and seven nine and seven and then of course had the four and eleven but if you take that four and eleven out and, and you know you you look at his body of work as a whole in philadelphia jaguars fans would be elated to have that kind of success here you know you'll probably make the playoffs at least once or twice in that stretch you know it's not nine and seven anymore maybe it's ten and seven That'll probably get you in nine and eight. You're going to be on the cusp there. But I mean, he just has a track record that's unbeaten and he has an offensive mind. And I think, and I said it before, you have to have an offensive mind driving this football team with Trevor Lawrence at the helm. I couldn't agree with you more. And those were the two guys I think we both identified very early and we have talked about it, but it bears continued conversation. Just, as we've seen, the Jaguars did interview both of these guys. They are interested in both of these guys. You talked about Doug Peterson. I think Jim Caldwell, the fact that he's done it at two different locations, he's done it with two different organizations, um, he's done it with the Lions. <laughs> I mean, having a winning record and taking the Lions to the playoffs twice in four years I think that's really impressive. It was only a matter of time before he got the axe with the new GM they brought in. And he's a player's coach. Guys love him. Uh, you've seen a ton of former players and colleagues advocating for him to get back into the league and be a head coach. And for me, 
I would be very satisfied with either of these guys. The one caveat is you absolutely have to know what you're getting with Jim Caldwell's health and age. You have to know that he's going to be, or he should be, and is on track to be healthy for at least the next five plus years. He's 66 years old. Yeah, it's, it's a big thing because we need continuity. We need a stable so think, you know, leader. I think that makes you have to lean a little towards Doug. That and also, I mean, you talk about the age. I mean, Doug, obviously Jim Caldwell hasn't been out of the NFL for a while, like a long time, you know, you would say, right? It's been a couple of years. But with the rate that the NFL game itself is progressing and, and offenses are progressing and changing constantly. And I mean, the last five years, if you look, go back and look at a football game from five years ago and, and look at one from, you know, this year, the offense and, and the way that teams are, are, are using motion and, and, you know, kind of implementing sort of the spread style and different route combinations. I mean, it's totally different. So I think you need a guy who's able to keep up with the times on that as well. Now for Jim Caldwell, that would bank on who he gets as an offensive coordinator and whether or not they can keep up with the times, keep up with the changes and keep this offense, you know, running like a well-oiled machine. I think if you have Doug Peterson, you've got that two birch, one stone. He's obviously gonna have an offensive coordinator. He's gonna be able to help him, you know, scheme and, and bounce ideas off each other, but he's going to be able to continue to progress and grow with the NFL. I mean, he's, he's shown the ability to do that, um, and, you know, across multiple settings with multiple quarterbacks and different systems. And I think he would be able to continue to do that at a better rate. Yeah, I'm with you. And he just penned an article either early this week or late last week on the 33rd team, which is a website where I guess coaches and other various writers can contribute. But he wrote an article, How to Build a Super Bowl Winning Quarterback Room. I encourage everyone to read that. That's the 33rdteam.com. Um, I just think it gives a really good insight into how he looks at building a quarterback room. And if you're someone who's interested in the Jaguars' success, fixing that quarterback room and getting the most out of Trevor Lawrence is the most important thing that the Jaguars can possibly do. Yeah, and, and not only has he been in one, but he's led one as well. So he's done it on both sides, and and you know, as a fan, and and as really anybody who who knows the game of football and just kind of how this thing works. I mean, when you can do it both ways, I mean that 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 really says something about you. I mean, think about how many you know former players, you know, turn coaches and and don't have that kind of success, but you know that the ones that do, those kind of guys, I mean, they're 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 next level guys, they're top notch guys. Look at Vrabel right now in Tennessee. I mean, and and especially when it comes to quarterbacks and offensive minds, I mean, I think they do it best when they transition from playing the game to coaching the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do. And Doug Peterson certainly has done that. So it'll be fascinating to see how it all goes down. I think we can certainly say all say this all together at once. Our least favorite coaching candidate, Bill O'Brien. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, it should be no surprise to anyone that Trent Baalke is interested in Bill O'Brien, the guy who – you know, led the Texans franchise into the ground, into the position that they're at right now. It to me, well, first off, yes, I almost puked when I saw that. Let's let's, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. And and if if the Jaguars hired Bill O'Brien as the head coach, I won't be here next year. I'll just put that out there right now. I will not be a fan of this team. I don't know how they would be able to even stomach that thought after seeing what he did in Houston. But the the weird thing is, I'm surprised that Trent Baalke would be on that. Bill O'Brien trained because uh, you would think that he's trying to find somebody who is going to be able to save his keister. Right. And, and I think a guy who wants control 
is not going to be that type of guy. Remember, Bill O'Brien had basically head coaching and GM responsibilities in Houston. Where does that leave Trent Baalke? Maybe if Trent thinks that he can come in and just make him be the head coach and not worry about personnel. I don't know. I think it's crazy. I don't understand Trent Baalke's <laughs> anything he's done, really. Uh, other than hiring Harbaugh way back when, but of course he Harbaugh hates him now. Uh, there there have <laughs> been countless stories where Jim Harbaugh has come out talking talking smack about Trent Baalke. Um, but yeah, so I, and on, on Harbaugh, I saw this, I saw somebody today now that he's announced that he's would be open. I don't know if he announced it specifically, but it, it was reported, but it came out right that he would. And that again, we talk about that's out there for a reason that he'd be interested. I would, I would interview him immediately. I would sit him down. I would sit Trent in there too. If you're, if you're taking Trent through all the head coaching interviews, and I would Dude. figure out exactly. I mean, right though, like that, that would be it. There is no way Jim Harbaugh takes an interview with Trent with Balky. Right. There's no way. So I think they could do one of two things. A, you know, would he maybe, I mean, if you really think about it, who, who's going to turn down an NFL head coaching interview? I'm not saying you had to take the job, but an interview. I mean, like that's, there's one of 32 and it's the biggest. I don't league. think Harbaugh is going to sit in a room with Balky for he may, however many hours it takes to do one of these interviews, which it is a long process. Now this isn't like a normal job interview where you're there for maybe an hour. Right. They are there all day. Right. But it's a, it is a lifetime dream job position. So, but anyways, I was going to say, so it goes one of two ways. Either yes, he declines, which, okay, people are unwilling to work with Trent Balky. We can use that, right? We can use that now. He, it, it's been confirmed by a, a individual who turned down the the opportunity to interview because of Trent Balky or B, he comes and sits down and he lays out all the dirty laundry and we know exactly what the hell we've got here in Trent Balky. And, and if the Jaguars don't move on after that, you know, don't make their decision based off that, then, you know, well, what the hell have we got going on here? So I think it could be beneficial. Who knows? I mean, just a wild thing that I saw. Yeah. And he's a great head coach. He's another guy that's kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, but as Miles Jack said it, they need a guy that's all about ball. I definitely think Harbaugh is that guy. Yeah. I think he's an interesting talking point that maybe we can look into more down the road. But as of right now, we're both in on the Jim Caldwell, Doug Peterson train and leaning more towards Peterson basically because he is more connected with the modern game and he's younger and he was a quarterback himself. I mean, people might not know this. Jim Caldwell played defense in college uh, and he just became an offensive coach throughout you know, rising up the coaching ranks, uh, which is pretty interesting. But now it's time to talk about GMs. You have to have a head coach and a GM who are aligned, and you have to have two guys that know what the hell they're doing, which the Jaguars have not had for some time. Who are our favorite GM candidates um, that that come to mind when you're looking at fixing these Jaguars and fixing this roster? I guess that means I'll go first, and, and this is probably going to – um, raise a couple eyebrows here. I don't think it's a name that most people would be too fond of, to be honest with you. And I don't think it's a name that most people are talking about right now. But for me, I, I think he would make a ton of sense. Um, I think that he would completely change the optics of this franchise. And I think Lewis Riddick should be the Jaguars next general manager. And now before anyone, you know, goes crazy and says, Oh, Hey, he's been wrong so often when it comes to players. Listen, everybody 
you know, when, when, when you're public out there about your evaluations of players, you're obviously going to be wrong a lot more than not. I guarantee you that some of these NFL teams, a lot of them probably had players on their board who they didn't have the chance to pick or, or did not join their team. I'm sure they were wrong on their evaluations of it's more than just that. I mean, yes. Can he evaluate talent? I think he can evaluate talent. He's been uh, inside NFL front offices before. Um, he's been around the game. He's got a great uh, relationship with, I think, a lot of players. He's talked highly of. There's not really a lot of bad, um, you know, words out there about him. So I think that gives us a a step up in free agency as well. You know, being from the media, I guess you could call him part of, you know, part of the media right now. Being able to build that relationship with with coaches and players and other executives and team officials and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that'd be largely hugely beneficial for the Jaguars. And you know, he's also going to be a great optic guy. I mean, I think he says the right things. He always looks the part. There's no, um, there's no controversy with him. There's no, uh, you know, I'm not scared of anything coming out of his past. That would, that would make it look like a bad hire. I mean, it just, it's different too. you know, you're, you're kind of going outside of the box here. I don't see how I think it's a bad hire. I mean, I've, I've kind of talked myself into that. I know a lot of people would disagree and that's okay. But, you know, I think when you have an entire scouting department helping you scout players and you've got a great head coach, hopefully, you know, in there with you also helping to evaluate players, it's a group effort. And I think there's more than just one person that does that. And he benefits us in so many other ways. Like I just mentioned, I think it'd be a great hire. I like Lewis Riddick. I enjoy hearing him talk. I think he's smart about the game of football. I agree with you that everybody's going to make these mistakes when they come out and tweet some certain things and talk about some certain things on the air, especially when maybe they haven't put in the work that they need to put into uh, in terms of like being a GM or scout. My one thing about Lewis Riddick that I can't get past, A, he has not been in the league since 2013. B, it has never been his job to scout college players. Washington Redskins, Pro Scout, 2001 to 2004. Washington Redskins, Director of Pro Personnel, 2005 to 2007. 2007, excuse me. Philadelphia Eagles, Pro Scout, 2008. Philadelphia Eagles, Assistant Director of Pro Personnel, 2009. 10 to 13, Director of Pro per- Personnel for the Eagles. He's never been a college scout. And to me, I don't think that that necessarily means he can't scout college. But the fact that he's never done it, it's something you have to work past and make sure that this all makes sense. I mean, being out of the league almost a decade and never having scouted college are two kind of red flags for me. I, I, Even though I do like Lewis Riddick, I get that. I think I think I don't. I don't you have to be honest with being out of the league since 2013. I don't know if that's a a money thing. I mean, I'm sure he makes decent money at the NFL Network and doing whatever he does with his draft stuff. I get that. Couldn't really speak on that to be honest with you. The fact of him not scouting college players, that doesn't really kind of put that much of a red flag in my mind just because you have people around you that do that as well. And, you know, everybody hasn't done something at some point. And I think, well, yes, scouting college talent is a huge thing. There's more – I mean, you, you can look at a guy and know if he plays football. And you have these other, you know, scouts that are out there. You know, you don't have your GM – scouting every college player you guys got guys out there evaluating talent for you as well so i think it'd be a group effort the biggest thing that you look at when we talk about gms specifically is 
it's not like coaching with coaching. You are, you know, maybe you're getting a guy from a certain coaching tree where you have some sort of expectation of what they might bring to the table or a guy that you've seen coach before, where you can kind of look back on that and say, okay, this is where they thrive. This is where they bring to the table with a GM. Usually you're either bringing on a retread in which this GM has failed somewhere, which is why they're available and you're taking a risk that way. Um, or B you are, you know, promoting a scout or promoting a, you know, a guy out of the football operations room from another team or something like that, where they have never been a GM before either. So, you know, those question marks are going to come regardless, in my opinion. And, and at least you've got a guy that has been inside a front office doing some sort of scouting, if that's your concern. Eight years ago, nine yeah, years ago. Now. I get that. I get that for sure. Now, I do like Lewis Riddick. I'm not against interviewing him. I think they did interview him last year, but I just, I don't see it with a guy that hasn't done it in almost a decade, a guy that's never done the college scouting. And I know that I I agree with you. He doesn't have to be a college scout, but it would be preferable for me if he has done both. Now I have two guys that I love. Ed Dodds, he's been one of the hottest names. He's been the Colts assistant GM and director of player personnel for a few years now. Uh, he's no nonsense. He's all ball. And I know Miles Jack uh, is really a fan of that. And I think football players in general are just, they just want guys that care about football and care about winning games. And Ed Dodds is certainly that. He's coming from the Indianapolis Colts. He's declined a bunch of interviews over the last couple of years. kind of trying to just finish the job in Indy. So who knows if he would even be interested in coming down here. But he comes from a culture, a scouting culture, a personnel department culture where it's encouraged to speak your mind, to slam the table for a guy or to slam the table against a guy in terms of, you know, just not being comfortable with making a certain pick or adding a certain guy to the roster. He's been a big part of a lot of the decisions they've made. Um, And their current GM, Chris Ballard, has talked ad nauseum about, you know, just how important Ed Dodds is to that structure. So not only taking a guy from a good culture, a guy that's no nonsense, all football, but he's contributed to pro and college scouting and directly has impacted who they're taking and who they're not taking. I think he could be a really interesting interview. Um, And I think he's a guy, again, all ball. That's all you need. You don't need all the drama, especially from a GM. You just need a guy that's going to stick his nose in there, get into the tape, and bust his ass trying to find the best possible players. And he had an interesting quote. I I was watching some videos of him recently talking about their philosophies and different things. And he's like – the guys are either ballers or they're not. And I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I really, I really enjoy that. And the Colts just have done an amazing job acquiring talent uh, from free agency and mostly from the draft. But usually when they go get a free agent, they've done pretty well with, with them as well. The other guy I really like is Rick Smith. He's the guy that Bill O'Brien actually ran out of Houston. Um, I don't know if he's interested in getting back into the game at this point, but he certainly has plenty of uh, you know, good years ahead of him. He's not an older guy at this point, but he's the guy that draft that pushed to draft a Sean Watson. 
He was there, uh, the GM, when they drafted J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Dwayne Brown, uh, a ton of just really good players that they have drafted. And he was really the reason the Houston Texans were such a consistent organization for about 10 years there where they were making the playoffs regularly and having very good drafts. And so I really think both of those guys are very interesting. And uh, Rick Smith, like I said, he had family tragedy. I'm not sure if he's wanting to get back into the game right now. Um, certainly he would not be any part of a Bill O'Brien coaching staff or or uh, uh, front office. But yeah, I think both of those guys could be could be the answer. Wouldn't it be the most Jaguar thing in the world to, let's say, we get Bill O'Brien because we have a whole bunch of coaches that line up and refuse to work with Trent Baalke. So we hire Bill O'Brien, then we end up firing Trent Baalke. Then we can't get a general manager because no damn general manager want to work with Bill O'Brien. I mean, that would just be the most Jaguars, back-ass words kind of loop around that could ever possibly happen. So just that kind of popped up in my head when you were mentioning that. Yeah. That so <laughs> those are t- my, those are my two guys right now. I know there's a lot of really good well, Dodds, that- Dodd, Dodds is amazing. I mean, and, and yeah. that, that pick, and, and before you, uh, that you move on, I just want to touch on that. Because seeing what Chris Ballard has done in Indianapolis, I mean, in my opinion, Chris Ballard is the best GM in football right now. He really is. And when he came in... Certainly up there. I mean, you can't debate that. Right. And when he came into Indianapolis, he made it very clear, like, hey, this is the process. This is how we do it. You know, it's not going to be an immediate turnaround. We've got to get some talent in here. Indianapolis was completely void of talent, man. Remember how bad they were at that time? Mm-hmm. Completely void of talent. He wanted to build the culture in the locker room to be a consistent, common culture. And he did that through the draft, drafting the right people, bringing the right free agents that meshed with the locker room and meshed with the culture. And just look at that team now. I mean, really look at that team. Right now. They're, they're not the greatest team on paper. They have some big stars. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Taylor has really kind of gotten them where they need to be. But that team is the team that they are right now because of the great chemistry, the great locker room, and the great coaching that they have. And that all starts with Chris Ballard. Yeah, it does. He is the head of that organization. and He's done an amazing job with the coaching staff, with his personnel department, all that. And I think Ed Dodds would be – a home run hire and a lot of teams have been interested in in interviewing him hopefully the jaguars will be one of those teams as well assuming they get rid of trent balky i think rick smith should absolutely be in play too um if you enjoy the show please leave us a review on the apple podcast app or wherever you listen we really appreciate your support the jaguars do have a game this weekend as the clown army knows they're hosting the colts Ed Dodds' team, Chris Ballard's team, Carson Wentz's team, (laughs) if you will. The Colts have not won in Jacksonville since 2014. They need this game to ensure themselves a playoff spot. They are 16-point favorites. The Jaguars are just – everyone knows that they might be the worst team we've ever seen. They're, They're abysmal right now. I don't really know what else to say about this game. Well, I mean, we're a bigger underdog against the Colts at home than we were against the Patriots in New England. And of course, that performance has led to kind of <laughs> right. this line, I'm sure. Absolutely. But that, that's where we, that's where 
that's where we're at, man. That, that is where we have gotten. We started at the beginning of the season, and this was the finish line, and we've limped our way through. And, I mean, it's just this is what we are. This is where we're at. You're right. Maybe one of the worst football teams we've ever seen. I don't know, man. The Browns did go 0-16 one time. So did the Lions. The Colts, I think they had one win before they got Andrew Luck. That was a pretty bad year. I remember they had played Charlie Whitehurst in a couple games. Um, I think Curtis Painter started a couple games. So, I mean, it's been worse. Don't get me wrong. but It's just kind of crazy that with a young team, they've gone in the opposite direction throughout the season. And obviously that has to do with the coaching staff and Urban Meyer and everything. But you would think maybe you'd be getting some positive vibes towards the end of the season after a really rough stretch, but it's kind of gone the opposite way. I think it's really hard to, to, to pick yourself back up, especially when you know it's over. I mean, this, this thing has been over for a while, but I, there was definitely some signs of life early on in the season, some signs of progress, um, obviously some signs of hardship in the middle. And I think that obviously just deflated everyone and, and has gotten us where we are today. But like I said, the Jaguars have a game, um, you know, this Sunday. And, and to be honest with you, with the Colts, anything can happen. I mean, we've seen some of our wildest wins and just, you know, the craziest comebacks. And, and this this record of being 6-0 and against the Colts at home the last six years. I mean, I remember sitting here last year with you, week one, saying, there's no way we beat the Colts. And and you told me, hey, man, the Colts, are they're winless in Jacksonville under Doug Marone. Um, obviously, like I said, it's, it's been the last six years. And what they do? They, they went out and won. And that was the only win they had the entire season. So really nothing would surprise me against this team. We saw them play them somewhat close the first time they met in Indy. I mean, that, that game obviously um, was – Quite an interesting one. Colts score on their first drive. Um, they then block a punt. The Jaguars then go three and out, and and the Colts score again. Or I think they scored a field goal on the first drive, block the punt, and, and then score again. Jonathan Taylor had like 93 rushing yards in the first quarter, but the Jaguars clawed themselves back and had a chance to potentially win that game. So even with all that being said, now Frank Reich disgustingly mismanaged that game by just completely going away from the run. I don't know why. I doubt he'll do that again, but – the Jaguars have a chance. They, they they have a fight. It's a divisional opponent, which you and I both agree, divisional opponents, no matter what it is, no matter what the team is for the most part, like there's going to be a little bit of an extra beef there, a little bit of an extra motivation to play. Can the Jaguars win this one? I mean, this is a game that's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not a game that I feel crazy about one way or the other. Do I think they'll win? No, because of just how they've played. But I didn't think they win last year, and that was the only game they won. And, and you know, who knows? Who freaking knows? Crazier things have happened. Yeah, and if the Jaguars beat the Colts and the who is it, the Raiders and Chargers, if they tie out there on the West Coast, both of those teams are in and the Colts are out. Yeah, that'd be a crazy scenario. I heard, I've, I've heard the talk about the repetitive kneel downs for for sixty minutes, but there's oh no way they call that happened. They flexed that game to primetime on Sunday night too. Could you imagine? I. I would love to see it. What both quarterbacks have like what 50, 50 carries for negative one hundred yards and zero to zero tie in the in the. Why would you not guarantee yourself a playoff spot? Well, I mean, for the, the Jaguars game will be over. This is correct, but for the Chargers and Raiders, it, I mean, whoever wins is in. If they tie, they're both in. So I mean, I think you could still say, hey, if we win, we're knocking them out. So I guess that would probably be their motivation, but. I mean, it, it would be kind of crazy if they could both guarantee a spot and not have to worry about potentially losing. But I, obviously, it's the NFL, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that with the competitive nature of these players that that's not going to happen. But, boy, that would be absolutely wild. I'd love to see it just for the reaction. Just for, just for the memes? <laughs> yeah, just for just the people. Twitter burning down? 
Oh my gosh. I think that that could be the end of the world. That, NFL oh, teams oh just goodness. deciding not to play, <laughs> just deciding we're going to tank it in and we're going to get to the playoffs. But of course the Jaguars have to beat the Colts for that to happen. And I don't think either of us is going to predict that. No, 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 not predicting it. Wouldn't be surprised, but not predicting it. Not at all. I, th- I think, um, you know, the, the team's limping in. They're ready. I'm sure they've got their offseason plans already made. I'm sure they've had them made for a couple weeks now. Um, Jonathan Taylor is is looking to make his final push for the MVP race here. And, and what better way to pad the stats and maybe tack on a huge game uh, to get your team in the playoffs than Week 18 versus the Jaguars at home, a team that's struggling. I think the Colts have way too much to play for here. And I don't think it's going to be a game where they come out and, and underestimate the Jaguars or play flat. I think they know uh, what the record has been the past six years. I, I think they're ready to... And that, and, and like I said, a playoff spot on the line. There's so much more than just that that streak of losses. So um, I think the Colts win. I think they win handily. I think it's a 31-13 to 13 game. Yeah, we're right on the same track. I'm 34-10. to 10. Oh, There we go. We're close. Yep. So no pick-me-up here, huh? No, you know, I really – I would love to be able to get one game back on you. And and let's say if you were – if you were 11-5, and five, which you are, and I was 10-6 – and six, I'd be taking the Jags just to see if we could get even here. But you're two games in front of me. You're likely going to get to 12 and 5 at the end of the season. I'm going to be sitting at 10 and 7 probably. And, you know, it is what it is. Not a great record for myself. Um, but, you know, that, that, that happens. And at least I still am able to eclipse the 500 mark regardless of what happens this weekend. Yeah, there you go. When you start taking track of these little competitions and wagers and bets that we have going on throughout all this because the record thing would be fun to keep track of every year you know maybe put a little incentive in that i know that we've talked about draft picks and and you know are the are the edge rushers going to go one and two and i remember a couple weeks ago i was like hey if the jaguars aren't picking one of those spots and they don't pick an edge rusher well then you know that that's a a absolute travesty now i'm set on evan neal at one so we got to keep track of that just goes to show you the draft is fluid oh yeah absolutely 100 percent it's a process. Um, it, we, we you have the end of the college football season, which we have the college football uh, playoff championship, national championship game on Monday, Georgia against Alabama. You've got Trayvon Walker, defensive end, who's likely going to be a first-round pick going up against Evan Neal, who we all know. We've talked about him ad nauseum. Jamison Williams is going to be in that game. Can anybody on Georgia slow him down? Uh, There's a lot of storylines to watch there, and that game could have impact on the draft. But obviously, uh, the Senior Bowl, the NFL Combine, the pro days, all that stuff is going to impact how these players are viewed. And at this juncture, both of us are on the same track with thinking Evan Neal is the top player in this draft. But that's subject to change. It is. And, and I implore anybody who's out there watching college football uh, this Monday, and, and if you obviously have watched it in the past couple of weeks, these right here, these are the games that matter most. You know, in the big moments when, when you need it, Everybody can play well throughout the regular season against, you know, lesser opponents here and there. And and that's the big thing about college football is, is yeah, you know, Michigan's going to go play Eastern Michigan when we get out of the year. And, and the, the talent, the talent gap right there is just so big. And obviously it's not in the NFL and it's not when you get down into these, uh, you know, big time semifinal and, and, and conference championship games, you know, as, as we kind of narrow down the college season, this is when you really see what these guys are made of. And for me, you know, 
everything that Hutchinson's done this year has been fantastic. He's been a great player this year. He he has, has you know earned the right to be a top five draft pick, but watching him not necessarily disappear, but be kind of neutralized in the game against Cincinnati and then watching, um, I'm sorry, against uh, Georgia and then watching uh, Evan Neal dominate uh, against Cincinnati and, you know, potentially seeing what he can do against Georgia. I mean, this is the time where these guys are going to set themselves apart. So I implore you, if you're watching these games, this we got to take that into consideration. Like, Alabama playing against Georgia, this is like the biggest stage. This is as close as you're going to get to two NFL teams on Sunday going at it in the and college football world. Two. And it's round two. You know, so there's, yeah, there, there's going to be bad blood. There's going to be changes. There's going to be everything. Let's see what he does on Monday. I am super stoked to watch that game specifically for that and for Jamison Williams, man. But I hope he kind of maybe has a little bit of a quiet day because I still feel a certain way about him. And, and personally, I don't want anybody else to, uh, you know, start keying on him too much. But I think, again, he's going to have a big day. And, and, and the, the, the biggest players, you said, like you said, the ballers ball. You're the baller, you're not. And the ballers are going to ball in the big time moments. And, and this is one of them. Yeah. And you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. He's a guy that I'm a huge fan of. I think he's going to be an excellent defensive end in the NFL. Georgia neutralized him by running the ball and by using the quick passing game and by chipping on him. They pretty much had the perfect plan. We're not going to let this guy wreck our game. That was like a Bill Belichick type plan. We're going to take away what you do best, and we're going to see if you can still beat us. And And Michigan was not able to do that. And that's one of the things that you know Evan Neal, unfortunately, gets the benefit of. As a defensive player, you know, as one player who can disrupt a game, teams are going to scheme against you. You know, you're going to scheme against Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, any of those. Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. And, and, and I know. completely. <laughs> oh, and I already felt it. It felt weird in my mouth. I got a bad taste of that one. Um, but yeah, those guys you can scheme against. Evan Neal, I mean, as a defense, you're not really going to scheme against a tackle. You might go away from that guy a little bit, but he can just manhandle and dominate every single play in every single game so just well, yeah the offense can dictate more than the defense no matter what you want to say about the defense uh, i don't agree i don't know if you want to run behind a left tackle and a left guard you can do that there's nothing the defense can do schematically to say we're going to neutralize your left tackle you can rush from the right side. You can stack heavy on the other side. You can put your best edge rushers over there. I get that. But your point was there's much less you can do to just say we're going to take Evan Neal out of the game than a defensive end. Correct. The defense would scheme to stop you from getting through that gap, not necessarily ste- scheming to stop said player in said position. So I think that's right. where it's a little bit different. Like you said, it's harder to do that. Yes and no. I mean, again, this is obviously an extreme case where if you're just running up and down through, you know, through the through the B gap between the left tackle and the left guard all all day long. I mean, we we can clog that gap. We'll, we'll set that away. But you can have guys go out of the ways. You'd be working to neutralize that running back, not necessarily neutralize the offensive line or neutralize that gap. So I get what you're saying, but you know, I, I think if you have a defense with the right guys, I mean, you can neutralize an offense if you really if you really wanted to control it. You can't obviously control points unless the offense is giving you the chance to score points. So I get what you're saying in that regards, but. I'm not quite sure if I would say that, that, that the defense couldn't dictate the game because I think uh, some of the defenses the Jaguars have played this year have dictated. Surely, surely <laughs> we have seen defenses dictate games. I'm not trying saying. to say that. No, yeah. But you can't take a left tackle out of the game the same way you can take an edge rusher out of the game. Nope, not at all. Or, That's my point. Or a cornerback that plays on a certain side. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain positions that you can take out of the game more effectively. 100% agree. And, and tackle is not one of them. Yeah. Exciting stuff, man. That game is on Monday night. I 
like Jeremy said, very, very excited to see how that all plays out. And one more question I have for you before we close out here. Um, James Cook and Brian Robinson, there's some good running backs in this game. Mm -hmm. Do the Jaguars have a running back that is going to be healthy for training camp, preseason, start of the regular season next year? Do they need to go get a running back so they can have somebody that is 100% to go through training camp and preseason and start of the regular season? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. That's a good question. We talked about that a little bit last week when I mentioned, you know, just with everything going on with James Robinson and obviously we know we have him with Travis Etienne, these aren't, you know, he didn't break a hand or, um, you know, tear a ligament in his elbow, dislocate his shoulder, anything like that. These are these are feet, man. And running backs are all about their feet. This is a, a Liz Frank, which is a stress injury, um, a ligament injury uh, in the foot for Etienne and a ruptured Achilles for James Robinson, which we all know, you know, is, is really what gives a guy his explosive edge. And those are two of the worst injuries you could have for a running back. Absolutely. So it goes and takes, you know, a a position, a situation where you were confident and you had the best guy to, you know, really kind of now looking at it. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, you can't rule anything out. You can't rule anything out. Now can guys rehab and come back and, and be, you know, they yes they can they medicine has come a long way I'll, I'll give you that but when you think about the type of injuries and just the rate of of which these guys come back and 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 are the same it's still lower either way so you've got to leave your options open even when etn went down you still had james robinson so you're like okay well we'll see you know when he comes back next year what he can contribute skill wise and it's a different skill set than james robinson so you know you you may be able to kind of just pepper him in there and he could still be effective with whatever he was doing you know he's not an every down running back but now both of these guys have gone down with both completely different skill sets, unique skill sets. So you're back to square one. And I don't know if you can really count on any of these guys to, to give you an answer by April. I mean, ETN probably could, he's been out for a while. He's been rehabbing for a while, but it, it's going to leave a lot of question marks. It's going to leave a lot of gray area. Like you mentioned, I mean, it, it, it makes you think about now, do the Jaguars have to go out and get a guy? You mentioned James Cook. You mentioned Brian Robinson, both, uh, I think, very fantastic running backs. And, and James Cook, in my opinion, is a guy that you're going to be able to potentially get in a later round. So if you need a running back for for the depth and for the value, I, I think you would have to look at it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, well, assuming he plays well, I think Cook is going to end up a day two pick. So second or third round. But that's not to say you cannot get a running back that you really like a little bit later. If Damian Pierce from Florida falls past day two, I think he should be snatched up immediately by whoever drafts at the top of the fourth round. I think he's that good. I think he was underutilized at Florida. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable power. He's a good pass protector, catches the ball well. I think that's the type of guy that has just slipped through the cracks. He's starting to get some more buzz. Uh, So, yeah, if you just need a guy that can come in here, carry the load while James Robinson and Travis Etienne recover. I would love to see one of those two guys. Couldn't agree more, but like you said, with with Damian Pierce, he was underutilized at Florida. His rushing numbers were great when he did run the ball, his efficiency numbers, his yards per carry, um, you know, all that they were through the roof. I don't think he's going to sneak past, at least he shouldn't sneak past an NFL scouting room. Just because Dan Mullen had no idea how to freaking run an offense at Florida this year for whatever reason, I don't think that that he's just going to be able to, to skirt by. I would I, if he's there, like you said, day day three, 
absolutely he's a guy that's got to go. I think he's a game changer, but I, I'm not so sure that NFL scouts with NFL talent eyes are going are to let that guy slip that far. All right. Here's another draft bet. All right. Let's see if you'll take it. I'll write it down. I think one of James Cook or Damian Pierce is going to be available in the fourth round. Oh yeah, I would agree with that because I'm, I'm not. I'm not quite sure James Cook climbs that ladder. I don't. I don't. I, I think he's ahead of Pierce right now. Think so? Because of the versa the the versatility. I think is and Pierce has that versatility, but you've seen it more from Cook as a receiver. Like he can line up at receiver, and um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think Cook is ahead of Pierce right now. Uh, for me, they're both day two picks all the way. I like them a lot, but from what I've seen around, I think, I think. Cook is a little higher in the eyes of a lot of people. We'll see how it all plays out. Do you think one of those two will be available in the fourth round? Yes. I'll take you up on that. Not necessarily saying I disagree, but I'll, I'll, I'll be the devil's advocate. I'll take, I'll take you up on that. All right. We'll take a look at it as it all plays out. So for you to win, one of them would have to be available. And for me to win, one of them, they would both have to be gone before the fourth round. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can get behind that. So... I believe that'll do it for the show, unless you have anything else to add. I don't. I don't, but I've got that written down. It's right here on the, on the front page of my legal pad here. James Cook, yeah. Damian Pierce. One that must make it past the fourth round. Lock it in now. We'll see what happens. We've still got Hutchinson and Thibodeau have to go in the top two, yep. is what I bet. Yep, back-to-back ends. So we'll see how that goes. Write that down as well. See, I told you we're going to start tracking these things. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I um, I'm looking forward to seeing what TIAA bank field looks like on Sunday. I think it's going to be quite the spectacle. Uh, I'm proud of and happy for all the people that are expressing their um, dissatisfaction with the way the organization has trended and what they could potentially be doing. Um, And they've done it in a unified front. And I think that's really impressive. And a lot of, a lot of people out there kind of give the Jaguars fan base crap saying that they don't have any fans. Well, you're going to see it this weekend. Yeah, the only, the only thing that I hope uh, for this Sunday, and you said it best, you know, absolutely support your decision to do that. And and I'm obviously a part of the a part of the clown army right now as well, in case you haven't seen my Twitter, Avi. That'll be coming off on Sunday regardless. I decided that beforehand, uh, you know, whether Jaguars win or lose or fire Trent Balky, it'll be through the end of the season. But don't ruin it for everybody else. Like, like this is a... A for at least right now, a non personal, I guess you could almost say non personal. It does suck that we did use Sean's must or Sean's mustache, but um, you know, that that that's got to you know kind of put the flare on it. You got to know who this is for, but it's not personal, it's not like a personal attack on anybody in particular. It's we want change in the organization. Obviously, it's directed at certain individuals who we no longer see here, but no one has like gone and made an ass of this movement yet, right? So I just hope for you know all of the fans who just want to be heard that there isn't somebody who does something stupid at the game um, or does something you know personally attacking any of the Jaguars personnel players anything like that that would kind of you know put this in a negative light because all this is is just fans wanting to be heard it's it's nothing you know malicious there's no you know evil intent behind it or anything like that so just as long as that's known and, and that stays the way it is I think everything's fine. Yeah, I agree with you. I think people need to keep it civil, uh, but but demand to be heard. Right. I agree just be heard and have fun, and and you know we'll see what happens from there. That's all you can do. I just had the most bizarre thing pop up. Twitter notification: Tyler Lockett liked your tweet. 
Yours? I'm like, oh, did I say something bad about Tyler Lockett? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, I started the draftjournal.com a couple weeks ago. Just It's literally oh, exactly right. what the title is. It's my draft journal where I just write scouting reports and columns and all that stuff. But he liked my scouting report on Evan Neal. He did. He did indeed. Very strange. Yeah, congrats there, big guy. <laughs> Let me like that too uh, are right uh, there. Very strange. Huh. I don't know why Tyler Lockett's sitting around on a Thursday looking for Evan Neal's scouting report. And what's the uh, what's the connection there? I don't know. Hmm. Lockett is a Kansas State guy. I don't know where Tyler Lockett's from before. I was just about to say, where are, they, where are they from? Let's do a little bit of investigative journalism right here, huh? I'm going to look um, into that. I know Evan Neal's from Florida. Ooh, yeah, I don't think Tyler Lockett's from Florida. Evan Neal is from Okeechobee. Okay, so he's down there from the muck. Where do you go to high school? That's a good question. Oh, IMG. Oh, he went to Okeechobee, though. Yeah. Oh, man. I used to be down there. Yeah. Sidebar, I used to live down there in West Palm Beach. And, and I don't know if you've heard of Pahokee and Glades Day. And obviously, Fred Taylor went there and mm-hmm. Kelvin went to Glades Day. My next-door neighbor was the head coach of Pahokee. So I actually got to go to a couple of the muck bowls down there between uh, Pahokee and, and Glades. I think it's Glades Central. Um yeah. Great games, great football atmosphere. I mean, no one loves football more than those guys down there. I mean, just the stories of, you know, how they train in the off season. They literally run up and down um uh the levees and the dikes of the Okeechobee River and and literally chase rabbits. I mean, those aren't those aren't stories. Those are real things. Yeah. You know, it's crazy and and the amount of support that those schools get from their alumni. Anquan Bolden uh was down there for a game. I mean, it's just, it's great. So it the football culture down there is just absolutely insane. These these Florida kids are I mean are just on a whole other level. Yeah, and the Jaguars, they need to bring some of their guys back to help restore the culture. I think just having some of the legends around the building a little bit more often yeah. would be helpful. Um, as Jimmy Smith mentioned this week on 1010XL. But yeah, not sure why Tyler Lockett and Evan Neal are connected or how they're connected. Perhaps they're with the same agency. I don't know. But uh shout out to Tyler Lockett. <laughs> getting the getting the pumps, man. Pump up those numbers. I like that. But you did – and before we leave there real quick, because you did mention this earlier pre-show, the talk of, of getting some of these legends involved in the Jaguars, I think that's a great idea. Roundtable discussion. Sit some of these guys down that have been there, that have lived it, that are still you know passionate about the franchise to this day, even in its young existence. I think you look around the NFL, look at all the other teams that have either former players as executives or former players in some sort of uh, advisory role. The Jaguars don't have that, and I think they do need that. These guys know best you know, what it means to be successful in Jacksonville and what it takes to be successful in the NFL. Yeah, and there's so many guys that were so good here. Right? That, that want to see the organization be successful. I don't know what capacity it needs to be. I haven't dove into all that but i just think having some of these guys like searcy and baselli around these young tackles and young offensive linemen fred taylor being around the young running backs you know etc cetera, etc cetera, all those guys i think it would only benefit the young players now i will say this though i think they could be if they wanted to like and, and now i'm saying that from from a complete place of ignorance i don't know this for a fact but something tells me if these guys contacted the organization said hey i'd like to help out I, you know i'm not saying they're going to give them immediate jimmy jobs. said he has done that and see that that'd be crazy to me like i'm not saying i'm gonna go there and give you jobs but i would never 
stop somebody from coming in and, and speaking to my team or working with my tackle, especially a guy like Tony Baselli or wide receivers, like a guy like Jimmy Smith. I don't know if if that was like something internal right now that the coaching staff or whoever involved was like, you know, we don't want, we don't need these guys telling us what to do. But I just, I don't understand why you would even ever just say no to a little bit of help. I'm not saying, like I said, you don't have to give these guys a coaching position. You don't have to make them vice president of football operations or anything like that. But if a guy comes back and just says, hey, I just want to get out there and do some work with these guys. I don't, I don't know why you'd say no. Yeah, and having a legends community just to be a part of the organization, regardless of how big of an impact they have on actual decisions, but just being around, I think would be would be really beneficial. I think a lot of the legendary teams that you see around the league, they have that alumni uh, culture that they're around the team a lot more than what you've seen in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think I think you've got to do something to bridge the past to the present because the Jaguars past, you know, it's only been what it's 27 years now at this point. Is that right? 27 years. Yeah. So it's, and the first 15 were decent. Yeah. And, and I mean, the players we're talking about, I mean, as, as bad as the Jaguars have been, Fred Taylor is a top 15 running back in NFL history. Jimmy Smith is probably a top 25, top 30 receiver in NFL history. I mean, Tony Baselli was, was the best tackle in the game for, for his run. I mean, these guys have merit in the NFL. He might be the best tackle that ever lived. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if I, I. He's in the discussion. Personally, even with the bias, I don't know. I don't know if I could if I could do that to him. But uh, we well, just have to ask other guys that were around during that era. Yeah. No. They, and they all say they all say, but you know, it's just, it, it's crazy. It's crazy that, that these guys want to support him and put in. And if the team, if the organization is telling them no and doesn't want them around, I mean, that's a red flag. It definitely is. So hopefully something like that can come about. Hopefully they can restore the culture down at TIAA Bank Field, get this team moving in a better direction. We we really hope that that can happen over the next few months. Getting a new GM and head coach would be step number one. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it. We kind of rambled on there, but <laughs> you know, when Tyler Lockett is getting on the Twitter, Liking your stuff, you gotta you gotta talk about that a little bit, right? I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. So, yeah, and we've we've been getting some some uh, engagement from from former players and guys out there. So I hope that continues. It's been kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, appreciate everybody for tuning in. Shout out to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag Podcast. Enjoy your weekend, Duval, and go Jags. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.